You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wolcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. Greetings, one and all, and welcome to Reaction Chats for episode 9 of Star Wars Andor, brought to you by those freedom fighters over at fanfatranks.com. As you may remember, Andor was sentenced to prison for a crime he didn't commit. Well, in episode 9, he's still in there. Slugging away, making God knows what for the Empire, but if there's one thing we know about our hero is that he isn't one to just roll over and accept the cards the Empire has dealt him. On Ferrix, Bix has been captured by the Empire and is brought in for questioning in front of ISB agent Dejamiro, who is intent on finding the connection between Andor and the rebel agent they named Axis. Also in prison, but in a totally different type, Mon Mothma is still trying to stand up for the people of Gorman, but more and more senators seem to be losing interest. She's also trying to get 400,000 credits worth of funding out of her family's personal fortune without any red flags being raised. Imperial spies are watching, and the number of people she can truly trust is dwindling. I'm joined as always by the only member of the Fanfatrax team who can stay on programme, Mark Newbold. So jumping right into this week's and or episode, Mark, what were your initial thoughts after you watched this episode? And don't worry... Nobody's listening. Well, if nobody's listening, I'll be completely on it. No, I won't. Um, I, I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed this episode. It was probably the darkest Star Wars with the specific Bix scene that we've seen probably ever. I mean, it was grim. That was that was hefty stuff. The whole prison stuff was fascinating. Watching the the sort of the politics and the mechanics of that whole thing come come round and watching Kino's mind changes. All these events are happening around him. The net feels like it's closing in on Mothma. It was just a brilliant episode all around. Loved it. Really loved it. I think you're pretty much right on that. I think you're pretty much on the money. Um, I thought it was kind of like a really tight and concise episode in some respects. It's just kind of showing how they can do Star Wars. And, and yes, you're right. It was dark. There was these, these moments where, you know, for the, for the last few episodes or for most of this season, in fact... I think we've all been kind of secretly holding a torch for Dejamiro because like she's always been a bit of the underdog in that. But this is that episode where we kind of really see her true yeah. colours. With the first half kind of focusing solely on Cassian and Bix and kind of using that cutting between the two, it kind of just shows cause and effect of like what happens when you've got the Empire's boot on your throat. It was really interesting seeing Deidre and her demeanour kind of shift from being that really kind of polite imperial mm. officer when she's out walking around it was quite unsettling in itself made it really watchable yeah. let's not forget if i harken back to the interrogation scene with uh leia in a new hope with a door coming down and the pan down to the feet as they walk off and stuff so you don't see and you don't even hear and i think that was the interesting thing was they talk about the manipulation of using sound these screams of these aliens being massacred as a way to bombard their prisoners to into submission but we don't hear that what we hear is we hear an amazing scream by bix which then kind of like blends and merges into the machinery in the prison which i thought was just a genius bit of sound design yeah i think that was one of those things that was almost like it's star wars does it really well when you don't hear the sound so we don't hear what bix hears we only react and see what she's hearing in her head i was totally expecting 
other things to happen in that sequence. I love, I didn't love it, it was horrible. But this, the, just the coldness of that room, a kind of a familiar room to Bix, just that one guy who comes over as kind of affable and kind of nice, but then it, within seconds you realise he's as cold as ice and he doesn't care and tells her that the screams are of probably of the children. And just, just to lay that out there and the fear on her face, it was brilliant acting all around. In fact, the whole episode was brilliantly acted. But you're right about Dedra as a character. We have kind of rooted for her in a way, and we've kind of wanted her to meet up with Cyril and things to happen. And I'm sure we're not the only ones. Kind of almost feel a bit naive now for thinking that because it's like she's ISB. She wouldn't be in that position if she wasn't a cold-blooded, just doesn't care. You know, the one guy's like, I really like to hang pack in in the square. And you think back to Cassian's dad and she's like, yeah, do what you want. I don't care. Cold as ice. And Denise Goff was interviewed, I think, last weekend in Italy at an event in Italy. And she said, what this is showing is that women can just as easily go down this dark, merciless path as men can. You just assume it's just the men that think like that. But it's like, no, you're watching a woman go down this horrible path as well. And this week, as you say, really felt like that was the steep edge of the cliff. She's just took a a step over it now. Any sympathy we may have had for her has gone. Um, Again, that that interrogation scene, yeah, lots of hints and moments that reminded you very much of a new hope, even the camera pan to the feet as they walk away. But you never heard Leia scream. 1977, it was a kid's film for made for 11-year-old kids, as Lucas used to say. This ain't made for 11-year-old kids, so they... They let you hear the scream, so it was it was full on. It really was full on. This episode and the second of the three part of prison story, Fred, shall we say? And and I think one thing that we've noticed in all of these uh, three block stories that we've had is it's the second one that really ratchets up the tension and really you start to get more insight into characters' motivations. And so this in itself, I thought, was really great way of doing it because, you know, if we got through the whole of the season and we hadn't seen a scene like this, and I think maybe, yeah, you could still be leaning towards, and like I was, that, you know, maybe Deirdre was a rebel spy or maybe yeah. she was going to turn. But like after this episode, it's like it, it seems pretty hard for her to have that kind of redemption. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think redemption's on the cards for her at all at this stage. After after the way she's acted no. and just the overview that she's got and the power she's been given as well. Not that it's gone to her head because clearly we can see now that she was chasing it. It was what she wanted. She's now getting the control and the power that she wants. And and yeah. the sequence with Cyril when they have the meeting outside the ISB headquarters. Oh, you know, yeah. he's a little bit starstruck. He's clearly a little bit smitten without overtly saying it. There was elements of the awkwardness of the Anakin Padme talking Attack of the Clones in moments. Yes. And her face, it's hard to read. Is she intrigued? Is she disgusted? She makes out like she's annoyed. Don't come near me again. You're playing with tigers here. Don't do this. But by the same token, there's there's almost an intrigue there. So I'll be I'll be curious to see whether... Cyril does make something of himself in the Empire or whether he just becomes collateral damage and just gets cast by the wayside because she's on a pathway to some step up the ladder for her career and he's is he a step on the ladder? Is he an obstacle? It depends on how she views him more than the other way around, I think. A lot of people kind of picked up like some kind of like romantic overtones. I think that's kind of like the easy way to look at it. You know, he's kind of smitten with her and that, but I just kind of see them both as really just kind of being very small kind of like cogs in this like imperial machine 
both of them are driven by that desire, you know, for their own personal success, but also the success of the empire and, you know, that kind of fa uh, fascist kind of regime. Mm. The conversation might have been different if it didn't happen right outside the ISB headquarters, I think. If it was just kind of down, a, you know, here, just cornered in a, an alleyway or like a, you know, somewhere else on Coruscant, maybe she she was fronting a little bit because she's right outside ISB and she knows that the moment she walks in there, she has to have some kind of real kind of facade because she's up against yeah. all these other guys and there could be a bit of a front there. At the same time, I think she needs to be careful because she has to spell it out to Cyril Khan that actually he is a nobody and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have anything on Cassian that he can really give them he's done that already and you know he's had his promotion because of that but apart from that you know what else has he got to offer other than just sheer determination you know, like a personal vendetta against Andor he's ended up where he is partly because he's not let things drop and not let things go they could use that again to some kind of advantage but mm. I think he will always be the pawn I don't ever think that he's ever going to get elevated to that position whereby he's going to be calling the shots again. I think, if anything, Miro's going to be the one who's going to kind of see that actually she can use him and he'll blindly follow whatever she asks him yeah. to do and therefore could be a scapegoat if it all goes wrong or could just be collateral damage if a shooting starts. Yeah, it's interesting that, that he, as somebody who believes in the Empire and the order that they're trying to bring into the galaxy, is almost equally, or certainly I would say equally as at threat of being just stomped under their heel as people who, who are revolting against him because there's certain Imperials. It's like society. There's certain people who've got the money and the power and the control, and then there's the rest of us. And right now, even though he believes in the cause, inverted commas, of what they're trying to instill across the galaxy, he's just one of the rest of us. And I think he will either literally get stomped under the heel of something and not survive it physically or just emotionally he, i can see i still can see him ending up being so disillusioned that he turns and does become a rebel but at the moment he really wants this and like you say you know you had that episode a couple of a uh, couple of weeks back where she went into that control room and that fellow was just kind of just sat around picking his fingernails and stands to attention and she tasks him with that job of tracing yeah. back all the the news and, and networks and stuff way back way back and he had obviously a big job on his hands. And so she's probably quite used to walking into rooms and people just scratching their ass doing nothing. And there's Cyril, who's tidying his own shirts and suits up to look smarter and actually cares and wants to present himself well. And he's well presented. You know, he, he does his hair and he does his suit and he makes an effort. He mm. shaves every morning. And, you know, he's going in with a mindset of, I'm here to serve. And you look at the rebels who were all scruffy and unkempt, and it gets noted this week that, oh, well, you know, he was clean-shaven. That sort of stood out that somebody said he was clean-shaven, and the rebels are generally not that well turned out, apart from people like Mothma and Luthan and, and Tay and people like that who are outward-facing people. But you just wonder whether at some point Cyril, hopefully season two, I, hope, I want to see him in season two. He's a fascinating character. Yeah. But, but mm. there's a turn where he just goes... I'm literally banging my head against a wall here. This system doesn't work. If people like me who want this to work can't get a foot on the ladder to help make it work, then it's a closed shop. So why support this? You know, you look at things through a different lens, don't you? And maybe Cyril's got that turn, but I just hope he gets to the point where he can make that decision because at the moment he really is sort of sticking his hand in the lion's cage. He is a little bit, and she uh, looks like she's going to bite yeah. it off. And, that. and if... If she doesn't, I think his mum will anyway. <laughs> anyway, because like, it's just that whole thing, isn't it? Like she's uh, his mum kind of 
just made out one interesting point about like I've kind of put you back on your feet and what is my return on on my mm. investment she's clearly done it just to kind of put him into position so that she ha- reaps the rewards and moves up a couple of levels and Coruscant I guess is is basically the end goal for her she sees potential in in him and that he will offer her that but then yeah you know if he turns around and kind of realizes that the system's broken and it's stacked against him or anybody of um you know little or no standing then yeah where do you go what do you do do you then do you actually throw your lot in with the rebellion not necessarily to bring freedom to the galaxy but in hope that you could actually bring the order that you want to see to the galaxy through the uh, rebel alliance hi this is guy henry and you're listening to Fanther tracks enjoy he's a very kind of like one-dimensional character when you look when you look at him at face value based on what we've seen of him but actually there's a lot of depth there that you you know you could actually kind of go into and you could explore further you know throughout like the next couple of seasons i mean i wouldn't be surprised if yeah season two is what it's going to be a year on or so he might have made another big jump he might even be working in the isb by the the end of the season for we know you Mm. know there's, there's still a couple of episodes left to play out Another interesting sort of relationship thing was finding out that Vel is Mothma's cousin, which I don't think I yeah. don't think we saw that coming at all. That was an interesting twist when she turns up. There was that one line in episode eight where I think Sintra kind of yeah. mentions about Vel's family having a lot of yeah. money. You compare Vel to the way you know Mothma kind of carries yeah. herself, and when we first see Vel in all that finery and was it when she's meeting with uh, Lufin's aide she doesn't wear this that kind of costume and that kind you know with her hair done like quite as well as say Mom Mothma does which makes you kind of wonder yeah she you know obviously she's really pushing against even that societal kind of upbringing yeah. but one thing that I've always found fascinating with the season is that you think you've got somebody's gist on why they're doing stuff I mean then you get a slightly different perspective and you kind of see a different side of them we're not really used to seeing in, in in Star Wars TV until this point. And so for me, it's, it's just what it's making this, this series on a whole just sing and just work to that higher level that, you know, I think now we're going to start to judge everything towards the Andor standard when we see any other TV series in the future. I think this is a standard of TV that I think we should now start to expect. Yeah and demand from the rest of Star Wars storytelling going forward. It's interesting you say that because obviously season three of Mando's in the bag and they're filming so yeah. now. I can't imagine there's a huge amount left of that. They've just started filming Acolyte in season two of Andor within the last week or so here in the UK. So Acolyte more than any, really, because the other two shows are kind of have a tone. Mando's got its own tone. Ahsoka, you would imagine, will follow a similar tone because we've seen Ahsoka in Mandalorian. So mm-hmm. you kind of think that's got its own thing. But Acolyte, now, having seen what they've seen of Andor Season 1, and, you know, they're both made here in the UK, so you'd imagine there's a lot of people working on either either both flipping, flopping across from the two productions, that they would have looked at Andor and thought, wow, like you say, that's raised the bar now. The bar has literally been raised for Star Wars. You know, Rogue One is very much in the wheelhouse of A New Hope. It was designed to be that, certainly what Gareth Edwards intended was very much to be that bumper-to-bumper Star Wars thing. And what Tony Gilroy brought to his additions to Rogue One and and tweaks and changes took certain story elements and and wove new things, which, of course, has allowed us to do Andor. But despite all of that, this has changed the game. The performances are brilliant. The script is insightful. There's moments that really do make you think. And it's clever because it's not just making you think of general life things like this peril could happen to people anywhere on earth 
because it is that kind of relatable story. It's making you think in terms of Star Wars as well. That's juicy stuff. And I know some people go really out into the weeds and, and have got you know some real deep dive knowledge on certain elements of this. I'm not that deep dive to that level, no, but there's you know, <laughs> but there's definitely it's more than enough to go. We're really being treated well here by the story writers and the production and everything surrounding Andor, down to that sort of Vel Mothma moment when they have that meeting. Just go home for a few months and be a sport little rich girl. You know, she's saying in a loving way what Sintra said in a kind of a snidey way. I know they're together, but there was an edge to what the way Sintra said it. There wasn't the edge to the way Mothma said it. She, she was almost saying, keep your head down and stay out of the way. Because it's going to make it harder on me. I've got enough to worry about. I don't trust... She said it last week. I don't trust my husband. I don't want him knowing about this. You've seen the daughter again. Mm. Oh, dad lets me do whatever I want. You know, she's a classic sport brat teenager who wouldn't give a stuff what her mom really wants. You can see that as well. Perrin says it at the table. Oh, politics is so boring. And it's... They just want to be the rich elite poncing around chorus and having parties and buying and doing what they want. Mothma's beyond that now. Well, we know she has been for a long time because we saw her. I know it's a cutscene, but we saw her in Revenge of the Sith. So it's all coming home to roost now. And just the acceleration of elements that Mothma feels like the one person out of everybody that needs to be pushed to do stuff. She's not quite at the point where she wants to put a foot on the gas. I think we said this last week, you know, Luthan is and Saw is and other people are. And you're watching Cassian develop, learn skills, develop stuff. We're watching it happen week by week to him. And you're seeing it happen to him, you know, in that prison. He's starting to be a bit more assertive. He's not just the outlier like he was when he turned up at Narcana 5 now. He's kind of part of that group. Obviously been there a while. You know, they don't tell you the passage of time, but clearly it's it's a while. It's it's not just a few days. You get the impression he's been there a few weeks at this point. Just the way it's constructed is fantastic. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com. For Star Wars News 24-7-365. Speaking of a prison, Narkeena 5 in itself and the whole kind of prison plot that we're starting to see develop this week leads very much to what we're going to probably see in the climax of this free episode of Story Arc with some form of uprising and prison break for lack of a better term it may even ban more than one episode it all, i suppose it all depends it depends on the scale and the scope of a yeah. prison but you know i mean i think the thing that i've really liked about this is they've subtly without necessarily hitting you know hammering over your head too much there's some very obvious kind of parallels between the whole prison complex scenes and obviously thx 1138 yeah. the obvious kind of stark white scenes and kind of like environments in which they're in is one but even it's just a whole kind of notion that the prisoners have you know they think they've almost got free will to a degree because they're kind of left alone but really it's like how much free will do they have when they're in in this environment and they still have to stay on program they're being told when to go to bed and when to get up and you know you know when to line up and stuff by like this kind of detached voice that's not robotic really but it certainly doesn't sound yeah. human and actually even in itself the fact that um there aren't any aliens in this prison that we've no. seen so far and so you know, why do you think that is i think there's an element of real worldness about it in that when you saw the empire in certainly the original trilogy 
it was majority human. And I know there's been tweaks and changes over the years and Thrawn was a big exception and that was made a big deal of in the Thrawn trilogy. You know, the Zahn wrote that Thrawn was seen as an outsider purely because he wasn't human and it's a very humanist organisation. A real good observation is that there are no aliens and, and you just think, you know, they put the Wookiees to work, they enslave the Wookiees. You kind of see that in the minds of Kessel in Solo. It's not the Empire ring, it's the Pikes, but you just wonder whether or not the Empire have the same thought process of let's just put the aliens to like the hard labour. They don't treat them like they're an equal with the humans. They're treated as the underclass. When Cassian came into the prison, as a mixture of human, I'm stepping outside the Star Wars now, as a mixture of human actors, let's say, you know, it was a real mixture of faces and colours and, and so on. All men, of course, but that was an interesting... Mm-hmm visual and I wondered whether they were going to go somewhere with that whether that was alluding to something and I think as it's gone on and we've we've lived with them in this sterile environment you know and the whole thing with the red light uh, red light white light on the floors and we know the process as viewers now no they're all just human that's not the delineation between the people they're all just given a number and treated like cattle and the whole sequence with you know what's going on on level two and Kino finding out slowly that something terrible has happened on level two and the rumors and now he's starting to wonder. And I've got to say, in a, a show, a season full of great performances, Andy Serkis in this episode was outstanding. Oh, it was mm. all on his face. It was just, you could see every emotion. And we know we know the guy can do this because of the stuff he's done in the past. But it, his face, you could have watched that scene with no vocals, no audio, sound off, and still got what was going on. And just... Everything about that prison, Cassian saying, you know, nobody's listening, nobody's listening, you know, great episode title. Just everything about it. And just it's just incremental moments, little moments. Olaf falling ill and just different things happening and uh, Harry Potter's dad coming in and trying to rescue him and all this, you know, as it notches up, notches up, and the guards don't give a crap. They're just doing what they need to do. It's so dehumanising it's fascinating, but everything that they don't do, everything the guards don't do, everything the Empire doesn't do with these men, just putting them to work, slog, slog, slog. If you're the, if you're the slowest table in a room of seven, you're stuck in the middle and zapped. Horrible. And they have to stand there and watch it happen. It's just fueling them. You can see that it's fueling them. And more than anyone, it's fueling yeah. Cassian, isn't it? This environment that they're in and being pushed through the grinder that they are, this is what is going to lead and or towards that radicalisation that we see in Rogue One. But not just him, but also like Melchi as well. They're both clearly singing on a fairly similar hymn sheet. Mm. You know, Melchi's kind of saying, like, don't look at the numbers and all that. And so in, what's smart about how they've actually paced these episodes so far is that it could have become very boring just to watch them do the same thing over and over again. What they're doing is they're very clever. Is these guys are using all these kind of like interruptions, you know, a new guy in the room and as a way to start to work out and figure out what the you know, the resistance is going to be like if they do make an escape. And obviously Andal goes for a toilet break and he starts kind of chisel away at a pipe, which I'm assuming it's only he who is doing that. I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody else but him who's going to just go and have a quick chisel. And I don't even necessarily know what that end game is other than he's going to disrupt something in the in the room to then hopefully bring people in so they could maybe uh, overpower them and then get up onto the next level but mm. even that whole heartbreaking thing of like as you said when Olaf is kind of down and he's he's stroking out and the med comes in and it's like that medic's not going to do anything he I mean he asks basically for like a body bag and a 
and a gurney straight away. He knows that actually he's there's no point saving him, even if he could. I mean, if it was a cut or maybe a broken arm from a fight, you know, that's going to hinder production. You could see he was going to help. But something like that is well outside the means that he has to his disposal. So therefore, it then becomes just a disruption and potential then that's when the guards, you could see, you could get, uh, have an issue with that and therefore take it out on not just him, but the rest of them. Yeah. I mean, that whole scenario about, you know, somebody from level four was meant to be released, but then was brought back into level two and they just had to kind of like kill everybody on level two. I mean, it's just brutal in itself, but it shows how disposable these men are. Yeah. It's like Andor says, you know, they're more disposable and they're cheaper than droids. And that's the thing is if there's almost like an infinite supply of these people who could come in and replace somebody and carry on with that vague hope that, yes, you know, you you do your time and then you're released. But, yeah, there's no reason for them to be released. There isn't. You know, they can either be moved on to another level or they could just be dispatched quietly in a way which would mean that would leave no trace. They're over an ocean as well, so they could easily just flush them out, couldn't they? literally yeah they could literally just flush them away like you know with all the rest of the garbage yeah. but it's that whole notion of like seeing Andy Serkis' characters at Kino Lawyer just kind of go from being that man who's vehemently defending the program and the process partly because I think he's he you know he's got his own self-interest at heart ultimately he's got like 200 odd days left doesn't want anybody to add any extra days onto him he just wants to do his time, keep his head down and get out. But then, you know, the realisation they're not getting out. Suddenly, you know, he's not kind of like going to carry on defending them. He's like, yeah, there's 12 guards. And it's like everybody's like, finally, now we can start to properly plan and see where we can find those weaknesses and escape. So I mean, next week's episode is going to be really, really exciting. Yeah, they've totally teed it up. That, like you say, it's all hinges really around Kino, doesn't it? Kino, Lloyd, the turn there. He's the pit boss. He's their control guy. He's keeping them in order. Now he realises when the Doctor Rassiv comes in and sees to Ulaf and just basically ends him, has to, there's nothing he can do. They're not going to spend money trying to fix or heal an old fella like that who was only, what, 41 shifts away from leaving, which is kind of heartbreaking. I think that's the real, that was the tipping point for, for Kino was, was knowing how close this guy was to getting out. And then, like you say, to find out that some guy gets off level four, gets put back in on level two, and they just killed a lot of them. No one's getting out of here. So next week, no, exactly. it's like, yeah, why not go for it? You might as well die trying than just die passively. You might as well die with your boots on and go for it. So they've totally set up something very potentially very special next week off the back of an already really special episode. Yeah, so I don't think we've got too much time to wait to see what's going to happen in this prison. I think it's going to be really interesting just to see how these guys actually do escape and how many prisoners Andor takes with them and where they go. I mean, because at the moment, it's not like the way I was thinking was Andor was going to be in prison. He was going to be sat in a cell and he was going to be there reading the manifesto that he was given after the, the prison heist. That hasn't happened. So we haven't really had Andor talk about or recruit anybody directly from the rebellion at this moment. So it's going to be interesting to see how, when they escape, where they go and how he then starts to link back up with the rebellion. Does he go back to Lufin or to Vel? Does Vel track him down? And they start to talk about fighting the Empire more overtly and actually have him join Lufin's team without there being any kind of monetary incentive. Or again, is this a point where... He takes the team that he has and then he now goes and he starts to liberate or at least tries to rescue Bix on Ferrix. 
I'm also really curious just to see what happens with Mon Mothma because her like plot line, the thing that she needs money for, and I don't know if it's just Mon Mothma's being channeled through me, but I don't trust anybody in that Senate whatsoever. Even her her ex-boyfriend, Takeoma, I'm not too particularly sure that actually he's on the level. I just feel like, you know, she could be being betrayed on multiple different levels by multiple different people. You do wonder whether at some juncture she's just going to have to bail from Coruscant. A bail. Uh, just leave, you know, uh. with bail, uh, just to sort of hit the road and run the alliance or f- continue formulating the alliance that way. Because, yeah, Takeoma is coming across as a slightly untrustworthy character I'd like to think that's done on purpose by the directors and producers because I'd like him to be a trustworthy character that kind of gets caught in the crossfire and it's another motivating thing for her to do what she needs to do because she's kind of expecting her family to let her down. If if she fails and lets them know too much, she still loves them. They're still her, you know, her husband and her daughter and... You know, she still cares for them, but she can't trust them. What a horrible situation. But yeah, it does feel like next week's episode, there's awkwardness coming there because she doesn't want to meet this guy. And Tay, on the face of it, is saying, you know, I've looked at every option and I've worked every angle and this is all I could come up with. And she's like, well, she just went ahead and did it. You know, her, her she was a little bit outraged, which I thought was in the scene a bit unfair on him because he's now been brought into this scenario and he's putting his neck on the line, even by asking the questions but he has been asking the questions. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes down. But really, you know, as we approach chapter 10 and then 11 and 12 to finish out season one, you know, I think we're in a great spot for one. I think there could be some explosive action stuff coming up in the last two episodes um, because there's been a lot of people whinging about it's too slow and it's too boring. And my answer to that is there's 2000 other channels on your television. Go and watch that because you've watched all nine episodes and bitched about it. So you can't be that bored. It must be something's bringing you back. And that's ultimately what it's about. It's making people watch it and sort of interact and discuss it and talk about it. And like we've said before, I think season two is probably going to go nuts and just take off and, and probably will be all action and will be like, yeah, cool, fine. It's Star Wars. We like action. But I also like the thoughtfulness of what we've had so far. So I think it's in a really good position also in a good position is me and you because we'll be here to discuss all of it thank you very much for everyone for joining us this week and we will be back for a reaction chat for episode 10 i'm going to assume it's called prison break but hell i could be totally <laughs> wrong <laughs> but until then everybody else you stay safe and take care and uh mark roll the end credits Thanks for listening to Making Tracks. If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit panthertracks.com or check out the free Panther Tracks app for the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners questions by emailing radio at panthertracks.com. Comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Panther Tracks and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Panther Tracks intro, Adam O'Brien for making tracks opening music and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers remember tune in to Good Morning Tatooine it's live Sunday evenings at 9 o'clock UK 4pm Eastern 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube and check out our Fantatrax Radio Friday night rotation every Friday night at 7pm UK time for new episodes of the Phantom from Down Under Planet Layer Desert Planet Discs Start Your Engines Collecting Tracks Cannon Fodder and special episodes of Making Tracks and that's me done for this episode coming up next on Fantatrax Radio it's Planet Layer.